Great commercial, isn't it? What a message. I'm having a lot of people throughout the routine of, of just this past week who've told me they've seen it. And that's on the stations that we're airing it here in the community. And then the social network takes it you know, far and beyond just the local region. Tens of thousands of people have seen it. We have a way of tracking this, and I want to share you, with you a statistic that's just amazing. Uh, we know by the tracker we have on this video with our online opportunity that people have watched this in 11 different countries in just one week. Isn't that great? And the blessing of God is on it. We prayed that it would be. And now we see evidence of that already as it's reaching into this nation and the world. And it's just the very heart of God. That God sent his son and Jesus came. And Jesus came that we might have life. He doesn't want us defeated or in despair or locked in the death of sin's trap. He wants us alive. He wants us to thrive and to experience the destiny for which he has. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians 2. Because I can think of no better place to start this great theme of come alive than to look into Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The Bible says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. How many of you are thankful for that gift, the gift of salvation? Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. Awesome words. A lot of contrast in those verses, and... We know that life is made of contrast, light and dark, heaven and hell, grace and law, spirit and flesh, freedom and bondage, and life and death. And in all of those, it is God alone that makes the difference. God alone. Keeping with that thought of contrast, Kent Hughes writes about being on Mount Whitney. It's a mountain in the Sierra Nevadas, about 14,995 feet high. And as he looked down, he realized that 80 miles southeast was Death Valley, one of the very lowest places in our country. 
And he thought of the contrast. The difference in the conditions from that low place of Death Valley to that high majestic place of Mount Whitney. And keeping with that contrast, I invite you to to experience once again what Paul is writing about in Ephesians 2. You have to start at that place of Death Valley where we had no ability to walk out of the valley and no strength to climb the mountain of grace. But yet we have to start at that low place. Verse 1 says, you were dead. Verse 4 says, we were dead. That's the starting place. You start there. But you go to the verse that says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive, raised us up, and seated us in Christ Jesus. We have come alive by the grace of God. The contrast helps us to walk into this experience of God's incredible grace. And with it, we realize what God has done for us. Now this passage, it's going to answer some questions. It answers what life was like. So we're dead in our sin. It answers what God did for us. So what did God do? It's going to answer that. And how can this be? What do I mean by how can this be? You start with verse 1, we were dead. And you go to verse 10 that says, now we're a masterpiece. How can that be? How can you go from a place of hopelessness and despair to being God's masterpiece, given an opportunity and an open door to then go and walk out the good plans that God has? How does that work? Well, first of all, we have to understand what life was like or is like apart from Christ, what Christ has done, and then we see how this is possible. We've got to get a hold of what it means to be dead in our sins. I mean, here we are today, sitting in these seats. Our hearts are beating. And yet, we're told if we're not saved, if we're not in a relationship with Jesus, that we're dead. It's a spiritual deadness. But what does that really mean? So what was life like? What does it mean to be dead in sin? It means to be incapable of changing. It's a powerlessness. It's like you're alive, but you're dead. Uh, It's zombie-like. It's the living dead. It is to not be diseased or just distressed. It doesn't say we were distressed in our sin. It doesn't say we were just sick in our sin. It says that we were dead in our sin. Now, exactly what is Paul getting at in this passage of Scripture? We know that sin means to miss the mark. However, we're doing life. We get up every day. We go to work. We're involved in commerce. We're involved in culture. We're involved in relationship. So there's activity. Yet we're told that if we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are spiritually dead. See, to be alive with our hearts beating and we're doing activities, that's humanly speaking. And that's why humanism makes such good sense to a lot of people who have yet to experience the gospel of God. Humanism that recognizes that people function and they even have accomplishment. And with great accomplishment, we give awards. So there are great pedestals upon which we place people and we recognize them for doing great things. But the gospel teaches us that a person apart from Christ is spiritually dead. No matter how much they accomplish, it just ends up being a, a dead person on a pedestal. 
got to really get a hold of this because we weren't just good people needing to be better. We were spiritually dead needing a resurrection. We were in Death Valley. And as we realized need, yet we could not change our condition, our position. We had no ability to lay hold or embrace that which could change us. And so we've got to understand what Christ has done for us. Dead in sin. It's explained. It's like a heavenly x-ray that Paul does on the human condition in this passage. In verse 2, he says, to be dead in sin is to be enslaved to the ways of the world. Also in verse 2, it means the influence of our life is Satan. It says that we're, we're influenced by the devil. It's right in verse 2. Verse 3 says it leads to an uncontrolled indulgence. Now we get the picture. To be dead in sin means I'm influenced by the world. What shapes my thinking is the culture. It means that the influence of culture is the prince and the power of the air. It is Satan himself. I believe in a, a literal Satan. I believe in a literal demons. And they, they influence culture. And people apart from Christ are influenced by the, the spirit of the culture. Which leads to uncontrolled indulgence. Now we see that every day. And when we see that, the influence of the world, which we know is the influence of Satan, which leads to uncontrolled indulgence, we then get the description of what it means to be dead in sin. We're dominated. Yes, we're discouraged. Yes, we're messed up. Yes, there's a twistedness and a sickness, but that's all the, the picture of what it means to be dead in sin. Satan manipulates the mind. Lies become the truth. And we're driven by desire. I think a great kind of way to think about this is through the story I read of Jeremy Bentham. He died years ago. He was a very wealthy man, and in his estate was this expectation that he would give all of his money to the University of London, especially the college hospital. However, he would have to be embalmed, and it was you can go online and see a picture because it happens to this day. It's like an oversized phone booth, and here is this guy, Jeremy Bentham, who is in 16th century clothing and he's sitting in a chair. And every time the hospital board meeting uh, convenes and all the board members arrive, he is wheeled into the board meeting. And he is seated at the conference table. It's a true story. It's happened for years. And the chairman of the board recognizes Jeremy Bentham as being in attendance but not voting. Now, now, you think about it, he'll, he'll never raise his hand, and if he does, that'll have a great impact on the meeting. He'll never make a motion, yet he's counted as in attendance. Now, the other board members, they're going to speak into the future and the strategy, and they're going to make motions, and they are going to vote. And yet, here's this one guy, he will never do that because he's dead. What we learn in Ephesians is that spiritual death says even the other board members, though active and intelligent and forward in their thinking and concerned about that hospital and its future, if they are apart from Christ, there is a spiritual death 
that is in their life. You see, whether it's the Wall Street executive or the 16-year-old who's trying to navigate life, apart from Christ, our choices are influenced by the world, which is the influence of Satan himself, which leads to an indulgence which describes the life of spiritual death. And there is no way we can save ourselves. What was life like before Christ? It's a good question for those of us who are saved. We now see this. What is life like? If you don't know Jesus, I am describing it right from what Paul is teaching us here. We're mesmerized by the culture and that shapes our thinking. We're driven by desire. And so as the dead, we live on. So, that's Death Valley. That's where we start. We don't understand our need to be saved unless we realize we're lost. There's no need to to understand the privilege of coming into the light unless we realize that apart from Christ, we're in darkness. There's no need to talk about the power of resurrection where a spiritually dead heart starts to beat alive in Christ unless we realize there is a need for a spiritual resurrection. Then we start understanding what what the gospel means when it says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it quickens, it brings life. See, Christianity is not just a list of rules and regulations and, and spiritual disciplines where we go to church and we lift voice in song and we read scripture and we pray. What makes all of that worth it is because we've been made alive in Christ. Praise God for the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand the blessing of salvation. So if we were dead in sin, what did God do? The scripture says, we were dead. We start there. But God, who is rich in mercy. Let's go there. What did God do? Scripture says that even though we were dead in sins, he made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us. And in those three words, the word alive, the word raised, and the word seated, Paul captures the essence and the influence of the gospel through the work of Christ in his death and resurrection. He made us alive because we were dead, death valley. Couldn't get out, couldn't raise ourselves. We were dead, so he made us alive. Yet we're in this low, deep, dark, deathly place. So he raised us up. And then... He seated us. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Think about the the position there. There's a, a certain seat, a certain position. And what Paul's teaching in Ephesians is this core positional change there is in salvation that you were once in darkness but now you're seated in the light and the love of Christ you were once in the death valley of sin but you are raised up and seated on the mountain peak of God's grace you've ever climbed a mountain you know how the air gets thin and it's rugged 
And when you finally get to the summit, you're so glad. You're recalibrating. You're, you're just taking in the victory. But you realize how rugged and how hard. We don't want anybody to think in the spiritual context that you have to climb your way out of Death Valley because you can't. And God knows that. And the gospel story is this. David said he came to me and he found me and I was in a horrible pit, but he, he lifted me. The, the picture here is that God comes to Death Valley and he lifts us, he, he makes us alive and he raises us and he seats us there in the summit of his grace and mercy. And then we look at where we used to be and we never say, I found Christ, I made my way to Christ because because dead people can't find anything. He found us. He came to where we were. And he made us alive. And he raised us up. And he seated us in Christ Jesus. And it is not by works of righteousness. It is by the grace of God that we have been saved. From death to life. From sin to salvation. From darkness to light. From hell to heaven. This is the contrast and the transition of which Christ has made in our lives. That's the good news. Good news today. You can come alive. That's why we're saying this to the community. Is we mean this. You can come alive. There's a, a death process in the way we think when we're living in sin. It affects everything about us and and, and all the things that we touch. And God just wants to come in and do the work that only he can do. And Jonathan Wesley wrote 8,000 hymns. And he, he experienced the grace of God in his own life. And having studied Ephesians 2 and going over what it really meant to be dead in sin. And then to be alive in Christ. He wrote and he says, his blood has availed. And in that, he said, he makes the vilest sinner clean. Do you hear? It's the work of God. Now, what has he done? What did God do? He made us alive. He raised us up and he seated us. Well, how can this be? <laughs> how can this be? Because he, the Bible says, is rich in mercy. I mean, did God see some kind of spark in us? Dead people don't spark. They don't vote. They don't say anything. Because they don't have the ability to. How can this be? Because God is rich in mercy. Oh, let this remind you of who God is. And let this shape your concept of God. Because he is rich in mercy because of His great love. Because of His kindness toward us, He has made us alive. It's not that He looked down and saw them. Those are good people. No, we were sinners. Born in sin, with a sin nature, influenced by the world, and lived out from that very nature and followed the course and the corruption of this world far from God and without hope there was nothing about us appealing but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love because of his kindness 
God sent his only son and Jesus came. And Jesus lived a sinless life. And Jesus died in our place, the death that we deserve, so that we might live. And it's not by our works or who we are or who we were. It is simply because of the grace and the love of God. That's why Paul said, by the grace of God, I am who I am. Apart from God, where would we be today? We care about all that we are, just track back. Especially in America, this is important because we can tend to think we're self-made. I do not undermine hard work and applying yourself, but where did the strength come from to work hard? If you've developed a skill, where did the, the mental horsepower come from to develop that skill? If, if you become an expert in some field, then where did all of, of the ability to get to that place... Where did it come from? Hey, how are we even breathing right now? Because of God. Because of God. Because of God. It's the grace of God, the love of God. Well, aren't you thankful today that God is not looking over the balconies of heaven, angry with us and just wanting to catch us doing something wrong? No, His heart reaches to us all the way to the cross at the death of His Son, because he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's great in his love and his kindness toward us. And he appeals to you. He draws you. You see, in the valley, we'll try to walk out of it. We'll try to climb out of, of the consequences of our own poor choices. But we can't. That's part of the deception. But God, who is rich in mercy comes into that deep, dark place and He redeems us. He saves us, makes us alive, raises us up, and seats us. I was about nine years old. Loved to be outside all day. We didn't, we didn't have video games. Matter of fact, I, I was back when table tennis came out. And that just frustrated me because I couldn't hit that thing with that little dig, dig. I'm going to shoot a BB gun. All right. So I just played outside a lot, and there was this pond not far from my house. And the cardinal rule was don't get in the pond. Now, I love to swim. I love water. But the cardinal rule is don't get in the pond. You can fish from the bank, but don't you get in the pond. Don't you get in a boat. But no one ever said don't get on the styrofoam. There was this motorcycle place near our home, and they shipped these motorcycles in huge pieces of styrofoam, and one happened to show up at the pond one day, and no one said, don't get on the styrofoam. So we got on the styrofoam and floated great. So my buddy got on it first, and I hooked my lure to the styrofoam, and just, he just floated out, and, he, and when he got tired, I'd reel him in, and then I'd go out, and he'd reel me in. And so as he's way out... I had him with the Zebco 33, and he would have been fine if he just stayed on the, the styrofoam, but he didn't. He gets shaken, and he falls off, and so, and as he comes up, he, he starts to drown. And so, I jumped in the lake, or the pond, and I went after him. And when I got to him, he grabbed around my arms. It was like vice grips. 
and down we went. And I can remember it like I'm standing talking to you right now. And I remember being submerged in the water going, Lord, if there is anything between me and thee, we need to get it right because I'm coming home. Uh, I didn't pray that because I, didn't have, I was just freaked. I mean, I was losing life right there. And I could not save him. And I could not save myself. And I remember this arm coming around me. And the next thing I know, I come out of that water lifted. And I was under the arm of the rescuer. And my buddy was under the other arm. And here comes this 70-year-old out of the water with us. I was in a deep, messed up, place and could not save myself but someone came to me had the person stood on the bank and said hey here don't shout instructions I can't hear them someone had to come in and rescue and that person came in rescued us raised us up and seated us in a place, in a position that was very different than Death Pond. That's what Christ did. We start to drown because of our own sin and the, the consequences of sin. And we are down and there's no hope of saving ourselves. And suddenly we feel the rescue. That's exactly what David said. He came to me. How many of you know what I'm talking about today? That's why Paul, Paul knew about this. You talk about a man deep in sin. And on the Damascus road, God came to him. Revolutionized his life. And now Paul's writing about that experience of being made alive and being raised up and, and seated in a whole different position because of his great love. Let me show you a definition of grace God's unmerited favor unconditionally demonstrated to the undeserved. So let's break that down. We deserve punishment, but he gave us forgiveness. Yes? We deserve the consequences, but in his grace he gave us relief. Yes? We deserve wrath, but in his grace he gave us kindness. We deserved hell, and in his grace he gave us hope and heaven. We deserve shame, and in his grace, he gave us deliverance. It's all about what he did. He reached his hands into the ranks of humanity, and he died that we might live. Come alive. Come alive. You were dead in sin. I was dead in sin. But God, who's so rich in mercy, made us alive, and by grace through faith, faith. We are saved. It's not by any works that we do. We simply accept the gift. Just accept it. Now I want to remind us of the result. How can this be? What's the result? You become God's masterpiece. Here verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things 
He planned for us long ago. Saved to the life you were created to know. That's salvation. See, Satan comes to rob that perspective and that truth. Satan comes to, to work in such a way that you never experience the life for which you were created. Rick Warren has written the book, Purpose Driven Life. It started with the question, why am I here? Because God has created a plan and a destiny. And when you get saved, you are made alive and you're raised up and you're given a whole new position and perspective. Now you can move on in the destiny for which you were created. The good plans that God had for you way before you were even born. Come alive. Come alive in your relationship to Jesus. Come alive in your relationship to the future. Come alive in your relationship to your skill set, your talent, your history, your experiences, your education. And see how God will weave it together. You're his masterpiece. It's like you're on an easel and he is painting this incredible portrait. And you say, what an incredible picture. Who is that? And God says, it's you. It's the plans I have for you. This is your life. It can be an awesome life. And all you have to do is accept the gift. Let me give a warning. Don't be fooled into thinking that those who are dead in their sin are fulfilled. It's an important thing to be aware of. You can look at people who have a measure of success or notoriety or accomplishment and it would seem by... From the outside looking in, they're very happy. But that's part of the whole deception of sin, is to think that they have this true, deep fulfillment because they have some insulation to the things of this world. They have some of the things of the world. Let's just get real direct. Take Michael Jackson as an example. A very successful person, yet as miserable a person as a person could be. Wealthy. And at the same time broken. In one way you could look and say he had everything. And at the same time you could say he had nothing. Don't think. That those who are dead in sin are fulfilled. How many more reality TV shows do we need. To explain that just because people have success or money or fame are happy. It's a ploy. It is part of the deception of Satan himself. And now the spirit of this age is influencing where people are, are, are they're on a search that Satan has never before is trying to confuse the search. I have a conversation with someone not long ago. They said, I think Christianity is good. But I also think Buddhism is good. So I kind of take from both. That's a person in Death Valley. And in their own deception, they think they're building a life and climbing out. But they're not. What will ever get through to that person? 
the lifestyle of the believer whose life is like a portrait that shows to that person all that they they want so they begin to inquire and say how do you have the life you have and you say well I was dead in my sin but God who's rich in his mercy he loved me and he saved me made me alive he's the one who's given me this life and there will be a power in that through God's presence backed by your life that becomes a compelling witness that they cannot deflect or avoid or reject. A reminder, not just a warning, but a reminder at the core of, of this relief is just to embrace grace, embrace the gift. Talked a little bit about John Wesley. Let's talk about John Newton. A man who before he met Christ was deep in sin. He had a ship that he used for slave trade. And he writes of being on that ship one night. There was a horrible storm and he thought that the whole ship would go down and he would go down with it. And he gave one of those desperation prayers. God save me. God get me through this. Some hours later when the storm subsided and he was back in his cabin... He couldn't help but think that there was like an impact in his heart when he called out to God, even in desperation. And so he processed that reality. That night in his cabin, he humbled himself before God. He said, God, I need you. And he asked God to be his Savior. Reflecting on the work of grace in his old, cold, spiritually dead heart. He then wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Think of those words, because Newton wrote those words, having walked through, once again, Ephesians 2 and reflecting in his own life, and he realized he was lost and could not save himself. Someone had to come and find him. He couldn't get to God. He was blinded to his need for God and so he tried all these other things and, and finally he, he was able to see it. God came to him. How many people through the ages they have sung amazing grace out of their story? Many of you have sung this song from your story. You know where you were, circumstances of your life. God found you. You were in Death Valley. Now you're living on the mountain peak of God's grace. And just because we're on the mountain peak doesn't mean that some storms don't come. Life's not challenging. It's just that now we have a source and a resource for every day and for every challenge. And as we look back to where we were and realize we couldn't save ourselves and then we note where we are, we're just overwhelmed because we couldn't do this and we don't deserve it. We couldn't earn it, but oh, how we needed it. So we join and say, amazing grace. 
Amazing grace. Amazing. Amazing. When I say the word amazing, because I know how he's forgiven me. I know that he has not dealt with me according to my sin. That's what David said. And man, when I read that, I said, thank you, Jesus. That he has not dealt with us according to our sin. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Just the sound of grace. Because I remember at the very mentioning of the word. The work of Christ in my life. Amazing grace. Unmerited favor. To the undeserved. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. With your eyes closed in the presence of God, do you need to come alive? I want you to think about that. This is your day. The Redeemer by His presence is here to wrap his arms of love around you as a rescuer, as a redeemer, as the person did for me when I was going down in that water. The redeemer will make you alive and raise you up, give you a whole new life so you can go on and experience the good plans God has for you. I don't care how deep the despair, how thick the darkness is in your life spiritually, God can save your soul and you can come alive. Oh, I'm telling you, you can come alive today. Hear that and let it be impacted to your heart as as a word from God. Come alive today. Today.